Well, a special welcome to all of you who are in the room with us this weekend and those watching online or on video. And we want to especially take a minute and just welcome our kids into our family worship service. So kids, we are so glad that you are here. And uh, if you need to play with toys or whatever, because I talk too long, that's totally fine. Uh, parents, we want you to know we, we love having your kids in worship with us on the first Sunday of each month. So thank you uh, for bringing them along. Also, I want to kind of reiterate what Josh said at the beginning. If this is your first or second or third time here, you're still checking us out. We are so glad that you have joined us, and we look forward to walking with you in this faith journey that you are on, and we believe that each of us is always on that journey and always looking for that next step that we have to take. Tonight is week four in our This Is Us series. That's a series that we're in the middle of right now that we are walking through the book of Ephesians. Uh, and we know that there might be some here who kind of look at that and say, ah, I'm not so sure I believe the Bible and you're going to talk to me out of it. And I just want you to know I am super excited that you are here. But we value scripture here at Calvary. We think it's really important. And we uh, are going to teach from that because we think it sets out God's plan best for our lives and tells us how much God loves us. And that's going to be the theme. We kind of look through this lens tonight as we look at this passage that Paul wrote. Would you join me in prayer? God, we are thankful for all the ways that you are at work in our lives, for the ways we can see and the ways that we can't see. God, for the ways that you are leading and guiding us. And God, we're thankful to be here tonight to learn what you have for us from your word, to hear again and be reminded or maybe hear for the first time how much you love us. God, I pray that for the next 30 minutes, you just remove the distractions from our mind, that we could focus in on what you have to say. God, that we would know that you are real. We would hear you speak and challenge the way we live. God, thank you for Jesus, for what he did for us on the cross. And we pray all this in his name and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We make plans all the time. Plans to do this or plans to do that. And if you were here last week, you know, Zach and I joined this fitness plan. Now, I really blame Lexi, Zach's wife, for this whole thing because she did it and had success. And so then Zach was like, hey, you should come join this with me. And so now I'm doing kickboxing to try to lose weight, become more flexible, be a little more healthy, gain some muscle, see how it works out. It's really turned out it's super great stress relief, but that's a side benefit of the plan and maybe win a little money in the, in the way. So it's a 10-week competition. We'll see how it goes. So my, that's my plan. Lose weight, get a little stronger, a little more flexible, and hopefully win some cash in the middle of it, right? That's, that's the goal. This plan is probably going to work out better for me than the time I planned to redo my basement. Now, if you know anything about me, you know that I may or may not know the difference between a hammer and a screwdriver. I have zero mechanical ability. I need lots of friends for that. Uh, I, need, uh, I just need those things to be uh, done for me in some ways. But in this way, I was like, okay, I'm going to create this plan. And we're going to, uh, we're going to, 
tear out all the, all the uh, paneling on the wall. We're going to put up drywall. We're going to tear out the carpet. We're going to put down new carpet, and then we're going to paint the new drywall, right? $5,000 and we're done. This is going to be the simplest plan ever. I can handle this. Somebody will help me figure out how to mud and tape. It's going to be great, right? So we pull down the paneling in the basement, and there's this crack. I don't know that well, that's awful tiny. It can't be anything really, but I thought maybe I should have somebody look at this, somebody who knows more than I know. And that crack went from one side of our basement all the way to the other side of our basement across the width of our home. And then when we put, took, tore down the false ceiling because we were going to drywall the ceiling, none of the electrical was at code. And so my $5,000 basement remodel plan very quickly became a $25,000 basement remodel plan, and I wasn't quite sure exactly what was going to happen uh, with all of that, and it, it was interesting. Plans don't always go the way, they think we, the way we think they will. Plans don't always work out the way we planned it. But the truth is, God has a plan too, and God's plan does work out. And I think that's what Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 3, uh, starting in verse 6. That's where we're going to be tonight. Uh, so if you have your Bible, go ahead and pull it out. Open up to Ephesians 3, verse 6. If you don't want to look it up on your phone, do that. That'd be great. And if you zone out the rest of the night or the rest of the time we're together because you're tired or whatever, I just want you to hear this. The point of this passage is that God has plans for all of us, that we would know him, that we would know his love, and that we would experience his power. That's the bottom line of everything we're going to talk about tonight. God's plan for each and every one of us is that we would know him, we would know his love, and we would experience his power. Now, as we've been walking through the book of Ephesians together each week, we started in Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians is written a letter that the Apostle Paul, a follower of Jesus, he wrote this letter to the church in Ephesus. Ephesus would be a city that today would be in modern-day Turkey, right along the coast. It's a beautiful city. And Paul writes this letter to the church there and says, this is what I want you to know. And in chapter 1 of that letter, he tells them to remember that God has adopted them, that he's redeemed them, and that they are his. At the end of chapter 1, Paul prays for them. And it's in that prayer that Paul reminds them that they are called to be a team of people who love those people who are in front of them. And then in chapter 2, Paul shows us how hopeless we really are as human beings, how trapped we are, except for those two words in the middle of chapter two that say, but God. And so all through these first three chapters, Paul's been showing us, this is what God has done for you. This is who God is for you. And as we come to chapter three again tonight, we get to see again God's plan for us, God's call to each and every one of us as followers of his. You might be thinking as you sit here tonight, yeah, that's great. I'm glad God's got all those great plans for everybody else. But you know what? 
life right now for me doesn't feel very great and it doesn't feel like God's plan is actually working out. Maybe you're here tonight and you're thinking, you know, my best friend was just diagnosed with cancer. How's that God's plan? Or maybe you're here and your marriage is falling apart. And you're beginning to wonder, you know, I keep hearing that God has a plan, that God wants nothing but good things for me, and life doesn't feel very good right now. Maybe you just lost a loved one. And you're trying to wrestle with what's it mean that God's got a plan and that God is good and God is loving and none of this feels good, none of this feels loving. What do I do in those moments? I know what those moments feel like. I've lived a few of those moments. My guess is people in the pew next to you have lived a few of those moments and struggled through those moments and wondered, how am I going to put my next foot forward? The best thing I can tell you to do, if that's where you're at tonight, is to make sure you surround yourself with people who can remind you of what God's done in their life. Not people who are going to walk up and be like, hey, you know, God only does good things. So there's a reason this is happening. I've been in the middle of the dark cloud and had someone come up to me and say that. Kickboxing class would have been real useful at that moment. But people who can say, hey, you know what? I know what it feels like to be in that moment. I was there and this is what God did. This is what God did in my life. I don't know how he's going to work in your life. I'm going to pray for you. But God showed up in this incredible way in my life, and that's why I follow him. And I think that's why we need community. That's why Paul's writing this letter to a church. Because he's saying to that church, remember this. You guys need each other. We need each other. And so if you're here and we're about to tell you about God's plan that you could believe in him, that you know you're loved by him, and that God wants you to see his incredible power at work and you're like, yeah, it doesn't feel like it tonight, know that you're not alone and that we want to walk with you in the middle of that. But as we dive into Ephesians chapter 3, verse 6, I want you to listen to, these, to Paul's words as he begins to tell us what God's plan is. And this is God's plan. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body and both enjoy the promises of the blessings because they belong to Christ Jesus. You see, the first part of God's plan is that everyone would believe in Jesus. That's God's plan. That's God's heart. That's God's desire. Now, for Paul, he's saying Jews and Gentiles. So the Jews were the people that God called in the first half of the Bible in the Old Testament and said, listen, you're going to be my people. And if you're trying to figure out, well, who are the Gentiles Paul's talking about? It's real simple. Everybody else. If you're not Jewish, you're a Gentile. 
And Paul's essentially saying, listen, this gift of Jesus, this gift of God on a cross, this ability to believe is for everybody. It's not just for certain people. It's for all people everywhere of all times. And it's been God's plan since the very beginning. Since the very first pages of scripture, if you turn all the way back into the Old Testament, the first half of your Bible, the first book, Genesis, God begins to create. And he creates so that he can be in relationship with his creation. He has no need to create. God's not missing something. He's not sitting in heaven going, huh, my life feels incomplete. If only I had an earth with people and animals, then life would be good. God doesn't create because God needs. God creates because he wants to be in relationship. He lives in relationship with himself, but he wants deeper relationship. He wants us. He wants us to see his creativity. And so he begins to speak and all that we see is formed. And at the end of each day, he speaks, he looks back at what he's made and he says, it is good. All of my creation is good. And on the sixth day, the final day that God works, the final day that he creates, now we don't know if those are 24-hour days or periods, let's not argue over it, but in this last time that God creates, he sits back and looks over his creation and says, this is very good. And God has created so that he could be in relationship with his creation. And God walked in the garden with Adam and Eve. We see in Genesis chapter two that he walks in the garden with these guys. Just like we go on walks with our dog, God goes on walks with Adam and Eve and he's like, hey, how was your day? And they have this relationship. It's been God's plan. And then Adam and Eve break his plan. See, God said, I have one thing you can't do. It's kind of like saying, don't think about pink elephants, right? We're all thinking about pink elephants right now. God said, don't eat from that one tree. That's all I want you to do. That one tree in the middle of the garden, you can eat from all the other trees you want. You can eat from all the other bushes you want. Just don't eat from that one tree. Don't think about a pink elephant. It might seem cruel. It might seem weird that because Adam and Eve ate from a tree, everything gets broken. But really, that's the story of the Old Testament. Sure, God could have went back. He could have said, hey, you know what, Adam and Eve, I forgive you. Let's just forget that ever happened. Don't do it again. And we'll just keep going on like it always was. But I don't think in our lives we learn much when that's the way we get taught. I don't think we learn a whole lot about how to live. And so God continues to tell his people, continues to tell us all throughout the pages of the Old Testament, the first half of our Bible, this is how you be in relationship with me. If you want to be in a relationship with me, this is what you have to do. And if you know anything about the Old Testament, and even if you don't, I'm going to summarize it for you. God says, hey, could you guys do this? The people in the Old Testament say, yes. And they do it for all about three seconds. And then they go back and they mess up and God says, wait, now you've got to offer an animal for the sacrifice of your sins. And they, uh, 
they do it and then they forget again in three seconds. And so it's over and over and over again as God shows them. Because we're stubborn, right? Some of you in the room are stubborn. I won't ask you to raise your hands, but I, can, I know some of you are stubborn. Some of us up here talking are stubborn. And we don't get the lesson the first time. But God used the Old Testament to show us that we needed Jesus. We needed somebody to come down and do what we couldn't do. And that's why Jesus came. And God says, this is how much I want you to believe in me. This is how much I want you to be in relationship with me. I'm going to come down. I'm going to live on this earth. I'm going to die on a cross for you. And in three days, I'm going to rise again. And when I rise again, I'll pay for all the mistakes you made. I'll pay for all the things you've done wrong. I'll pay for everything that's happened. I just want you to believe. I want you to believe in me. I want you to believe in who I am. I want you to know how much I love you. Andy Stanley says, if somebody can predict their death and resurrection and then do it, I'm going to follow that person. That's exactly what Jesus does so that we can believe in God, so that our lives can be restored. And if you're in this room tonight and you know that and you have placed your belief in Jesus, Paul says you have a responsibility. Listen to his words in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 8. Though I am the least deserving of all God's people, he graciously gave me the privilege, the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in God. Paul says, listen, I'm nobody special, but God, because I believed, has given me the responsibility to go and tell other people about him. If you're here tonight and you've believed in Jesus and you believe that he's God's son, that you believe that he came, he lived, he died, and he rose again, we have a responsibility to go tell everybody we know about that. Not to go cram it down their throat, not to go tell them they're wrong in everything they do or how they live, but to come alongside of them with grace and compassion and mercy and to walk with them. To say, hey, I hear you have questions. I hear you've got some doubts about faith, about God, about who Jesus was. Could we get coffee and talk about that? That's our responsibility. Paul says, that's what God gave me the privilege of doing. He's telling others. And if you're here tonight and you've never put your faith in Jesus, you've never believed, you're like, I still got questions. I am so glad you're here, but I want you to know God's plan for you, God's desire for you, God's heart for you is that you would know him, that you would come to believe in Jesus and that that would transform your life. And we are so thankful that you are here and we want to walk alongside of you to be that person who answers those questions, who answers those doubts and who shows you just how much God loves you, which is the second part of God's plan, that everyone would experience the love of Jesus, that everyone would experience the love of Jesus. Listen to Paul's words in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. 
Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is for you. This is a love that God just lavishes on us. I think sometimes we think God loves us with an eyedropper and a little bit of water, right? He just sticks the eyedropper in a little bottle, squeezes it up, and then drops a little bit of water on our head. And then maybe when we get a little sad, he drops a little bit more. No, this is like the ice bucket challenge from like five years ago, you might remember that, where everybody was dumping ice water over their head to raise money for ALS. God says, I love you so much, I wanna lavish that love on you. I'm gonna back the dump truck full of water up on, back up on you, and I'm gonna lift the bed and I'm gonna let all of that pour out on you. That's how much I love you. And I want you to continue to grow in that love. Paul says it's like roots of a tree going down deep that provide life and water and nutrients as we continue to grow in our understanding of how much God loves us. Paul describes God's love in four ways, and I don't think they're just four words that he uses poetically. I think they're four very intentionally chosen words. He says, I pray that you would know how wide God's love is. It's accepting of all people. There's no one in this world that God doesn't love. This love of God breaks down racial barriers. It breaks down socioeconomic barriers. It breaks down barriers between family members. It's a love that God says, you can't get wider than my love. You can't get away from my love. You can't do anything in this life that takes you outside of my love. There's nothing you have done, you're currently doing, or that you will do that could make God stop loving you. It's that wide. He says, you try to run, I'll stretch my arms wider and you can't get away. Not only is it wide, but it's long. Paul says, I pray that you'd know how long God's love is from the beginning of time until the end of time. That's how long God will love you. That love never changes. That love never fades. It never gets stronger. It never gets weaker. God says, I love you as much from the day I created everything that you see until the day this world comes to an end. I will love you. For some of us in the room, that is unbelievable. Because we've had other people tell us we love, they love us. We've had other people make promises of love to us. And they've broken that promise. And so we sit here and we're like, wait, you mean God will never stop loving me? No matter how long I live? No matter what I do? Never. I'm telling you, God's love isn't the little eyedropper. 
It's the dump truck that comes and pours over us and never stops pouring. He says, I pray that you'd know the height of God's love. Listen to his words in Ephesians chapter 2. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming age he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. God says, Paul says, I pray that you would know how high God's love can take you. We get stuck down here in the bottom, in the mire, in the pit, in our shame, in our embarrassment, in our guilt. Paul says, God's love came to raise you up, to set you free from that. To turn your anxiety to peace, your fear to hope, and your sadness to joy, to lift you up. That's how much God loves you. And he prays that you would know the depths of God's love. That you would know how deep God's love goes for you. I think we see this best in Christ Jesus' death on the cross. In the public humiliation that he suffered. In the physical pain that he suffered. In the shame that he suffered. For us. So that we were never alone. So that when we go through those same things, so that when we feel the shame and we feel the guilt and we feel the embarrassment, he can say, I've been there, I understand, and I love you just the same. You can't get away from my love. The psalmist, a poet from the Old Testament, writes this. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day and the darkness is as light to you. We can't escape this love that God has for us. Paul says it's so deep, it's almost unknowable. It's so vast, we can't get to the end of it. You can't know it fully. It's kind of like the Challenger's Deep Gorge, which is at the bottom of the Pacific Ocean in the north, northern, northwestern part of the Pacific Ocean, and it's the deepest place in the ocean, seven miles deep. And we can't send anything. We don't have anything that we've made that can withstand the pressure. We've tried robotics and they get down so deep and the pressure, the water pressure down there crushes it. And it can't get, it can't, it can't get in and, exp and know. So we don't know what's in that. We don't know what God created that lives in that little chasm. But just because we don't know the depth of that chasm doesn't mean we don't enjoy the ocean. Whether that's 
playing in it with our kids when we go on vacation or watching National Geographic specials or going and visiting the incredible places all throughout God's ocean because we get to experience that ocean. God says, I want you to experience my love. I want you to know how much I love you. But in order to experience that, in order to really, truly be able to experience that, we have to go back to step one. You have to believe. God loves all of us. Whether you believe or you don't believe, God loves you. But until you choose to follow, until you choose to believe, you'll never experience the depth and the height and the width and the length of God's love for you to its fullest. But the minute we believe that love becomes real, Paul says Christ moves into our hearts and makes his home there. So we pray that that's what you see in this place. That everyone's loved. Paul says it's out of that love that God works the third part of his plan, which is that everyone would see God empower them. This is maybe one of my top three favorite verses in all of Scripture. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 21 says, Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us. Now don't miss this. This is the phrase that's like, for real? To accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Infinitely more. Like Buzz Lightyear to infinity and beyond. More than we might ask or think. God has the power inside of us who believe, who've experienced that love to do infinitely more, not that we ask for, but that we even imagine or dream of. This is like us on a Friday night, exhausted from the week, tired from the stress, tired from kids' sports, tired from relational difficulties, tired of our boss at work thinking, if I could just go to the cabin for 18 hours, tomorrow morning I'm going to drive up to my cabin, I'm going to sit in my cabin for 18 hours, and I'm going to forget everything that is going on. And you might have beautiful cabins, but it's like us thinking that's what we need in life. And God says, no, 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 no. Here's what I have planned for you. It's January in Minnesota. Yeah, it's been really warm, but it's also been really cloudy. I know you're tired of the cold. I don't have 18 hours for you at the cabin planned. I have a two-week, all-expenses-paid vacation to the Caribbean. That's what I have planned. And you're like, wait, what? How am I going to get the Caribbean? I don't have a passport. I don't have money for that. And God says, it doesn't matter. That's the power I have. We come to God so often and we ask for such little things. Our dreams are such little things. And God says, no, infinitely more, infinitely more. Not like a little more, not an eyedropper more. Truckloads more. 
That's what I want to do in you. That's what I want to do for you. Again, you might be here and you're like, yeah, I've been asking for a lot and God hasn't done anything yet. I get it. I've been there. And we don't know the mind of God and we don't know and we can't explain why God acts sometimes and why God doesn't act other times. But we have to claim this promise. A promise that God desires to do infinitely more than we can think. So Calvary, church, what do you want God to do? What do you want God to do in your life? What are you praying that God would do in the lives of the people you love? What are you dreaming for for this place? Do you dream of five services every weekend? Full 5,000 people? God says, nice dream. Infinitely more. Do we believe that? Do we live like we believe that? Do we live like we believe that Jesus came and died and said, hey, in three days I'm going to rise again, and three days later walked out of the grave? Live like we're loved. Live like the power of the God who spoke and the universe was created lives inside of us. This is what we're called to be. This has been God's plan since the very beginning. His plans never changed. God's plan was for all of us to know him, to know his love, and to experience his power. Is that our plan? As a church, are we dreaming to be a place where people come and encounter the living God and have their lives forever changed? That means every one of your neighbors. Think about the person who lives across the street from you, on the right of you, on the left of you, maybe for some of you behind you. Are we dreaming that they would know that they would begin to journey with Jesus, that we would get to be a part of that, you and I walking alongside of them? Nobody's special, but enjoying the privilege that God has called us to walk with them so that they could know who Jesus is, know his love, and see his power at work. Church, that's our mission. That's our calling. That's God's plan. And if you're here and you don't know that and you don't know who God is and you haven't believed yet, we are praying for you. We love you and we are thankful that you have come into this place and we want to help. We want to walk alongside you. As we close tonight's service, I want us to pray together the prayer that Paul prays for the church in, uh, in Ephesus. It's really the last half of the passage we've looked at, and the words are going to be on the screen. So will you pray with me 
these words as we close our service tonight. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully, then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations, forever and ever. Amen. As we close our service tonight, we will close with communion. Communion is the most tangible way we have to remember how much God loved us, to remember what he did for us. So just a few minutes, our ushers will come forward. They'll come and dismiss you up. You can take the bread, dip it into the, either the red wine or the white grape juice, and if you need a gluten-free Cracker, we have those available as well. This meal, this time that we celebrate is a reminder of Christ's body broken for us, of his blood shed for us, both as signs that we are loved by our Heavenly Father. Come and eat.